today. Hebrews 3 is such a big chapter. What we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus as high priest. So call me simple, but I need to, I need to keep things simple. There's just so much in here. And, and let, me just, let me just kind of frame what's happening. So we're told in the book of Hebrews to consider Jesus, right? So we've had that Dana preached. Um, man, she preaches well. So this is, this is tricky. It's not going to be that good, okay? Just keep the standards where they should be. Um, but we're told to consider Jesus, look to Jesus, and that's an important part of what we're going to do today. So we're going to look at Jesus as high priest, and, and that's how the Bible works. God wants us to look to the Lord, look to Jesus, and then the Bible explains what he's like. And so in, in, this, in this whole chapter, there's so much stuff I'm just not going to get to. So by way of preamble, we're supposed to consider Jesus. And in here, we're supposed to watch out for the hardness of our heart, because this place from where you live, this is where you really live from, it can go kind of crusty, kind of hard. And so we're given the example of our mums and dads in the faith, and many of them had hardness of heart, did not look to Jesus, and therefore looked to other things, and it, was, it went bad. And so, and, and so in this chapter, they failed to walk into the rest of God, rest. And, and you need that. I need that. You need peace. You need freedom. You need rest. I don't know if you agree, disagree. I'm not bothered at this point. I'm just going to tell you. You need to know how much you're loved. You need to know how much you're desired. You need to know how much you're wanted. You need to know grace in all its fullness. It's scandalous. It's so good. You can't measure God's grace and His love. No human measurement can stretch a, a ruler out that long. His grace, I'll keep pursuing you, keep finding you. I'm longing for you. I won't stop. And we'll get into some of that. So, so this considering Jesus is big. It's important. And that's just what we're going to do for our time together. We're going to consider Jesus and particularly how He's high priest. And we're going to consider how he's the, the right man on our side. So, the writer to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, says to a, a struggling people, a frail people, a, fr a people experiencing a lot of difficulty, he says these words, and I'll give you the first four verses. Hebrews 3, verse 1, this is God's word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. I'll pause there. So this is what we'll do. High priest. First word I need to give you is cons the consider word. So why are we considering? So it's almost like a tiny little word of instruction, but I have to do it. Otherwise, we might w waste the rest of our time. When you, when you consider someone, something happens to you. And you, you observe someone, you take in a little bit of that person in, into your soul, into your heart, in a way. And so when, when God wants to speak, He gives you His Son. 
And, and so the Son is the message from God the Father. When, when the Father wants to say something to you, He gives you the Son. He wants to communicate something. He's, it's here. It's in my Son. Behold my Son. And so there's this thing that happens when we consider Jesus. So, so I've been married to Susie for the marriage, the king of marriage council over here. Love it. And there have been a couple of times when she has had to overlook an offense. But, you know, in, her, in the beauty, when she does that, it kind of makes me a little bit in awe, a little bit giddy. And I think, man, I'm really humbled by that. It impacts me emotionally. She overlooked an offense. She doesn't hold it against me. And I think, mm, first of all, that's hot, but that's not the moment to be getting into things like that. I think, wow, God's work in her. Think about someone that may have impacted you. and you, Someone's kindness, someone's generosity. Consider that person for a moment, whoever that might be. It kind of impacts you right here on the inside. My father-in-law is one of those guys, Susie's dad. And I've seen his kindness to people. When someone walks into a room, Susie's dad, Peter, his eyes go straight to that person. I've studied him. I've looked at him. And his arms, he's kind of like the shoulders kind of lean forward a lot more than they used to. But the arms go, kind of they stay there and the arms go up. And this massive, like bald head and massive great big smile all the way up here right across his face goes up. And he says, hi. And he goes over to them. And it, it impacts me. And I see that man's kindness, and I've, I've looked at him, and he's one of those examples in my life. The man, the, the, fa the family had a road trip, the gas runs out, the family has no money, so dad goes and prays and says, God, I and my family need you, we have no fuel, help, Gets, and has the family lay hands on the vehicle. Maybe a little bit weird, I know, but try it yourself. But he prayed, and, and the vehicle drives over 100 miles further. I took that in. That's mine. He holds the, the legs of a little boy, one a lot shorter than the other. And with no, he doesn't need an audience. He's, he's walked with God and seen things. He says, Father, could you, can we repair this? And the, and the legs straighten out like this. And I've watched him. I and mean, he made me soup every week too. I thought that was kind of cool. And then there was this one time when he said, if you want to keep your beer cool but not watered down, you can put one ice cube in and you can just sip it slowly. I think that's wisdom right there. I, I could give you a lot of other stories, but I've watched this, watched this guy. You have someone, have you seen like a radical act of kindness? You've seen someone stop on the road? You've seen someone with, with like shining white clothes, they've maybe held somebody that's like very, in very, very difficult places, very dirty, very, very smelly, which is wild, abandoned to themselves, and you kind of look back. I mean, maybe not you, you're very, self, you know, serving and giving maybe a friend who's never done that before, and you're just like, you go, wow, this is something about what that, which is happening here. You're considering Jesus. You're considering what the Lord has done for you, and it's an amazing thing for you. The culture will teach you walk by your emotions and your feelings. But God comes and says, I've got things to say. Here's my son. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. This is how I feel about you, and this is my work in you. So that's my little setup for, for what's happening, not tomorrow, right here in the seat, right now. So consider Jesus. So you have these two words here. Let's jump into this as we're considering and it says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, so you're being brought into this calling, this, this amazing journey that you're on, you're sharing in it, 
Consider Jesus. Two words, the apostle and high priest of our confession. It goes on to say, who was faithful, and he was like Moses. This is beautiful comparison that we don't have a lot of time for, but it's beautiful because Moses talked to God face to face, lips to lips, like eyes to eyes. It's just beautiful. But we're given even more here, Jesus. And so I want to just give you these two ideas that we have here. One is the apostle, the builder, how he's building things in our lives. And the other is a high priestly function. How is he a priest to you? And the nice thing here is that we're given something of the divinity of Jesus. He's the builder of all things. He made all things, the greatness, the bigness of God. And there's something really, really cool that I want to make sure we get to. It's kind of like the main part, so hang in for that. And that's the humanity of Jesus, the nearness of Jesus, the Jesus that knows everything you're going through, everything you're thinking about. And so starting with the apostle, we're told he's the builder of the house. And so he's building, he's the builder of all things. He's building our lives. So hold these truths to you as you consider Jesus. You'll remember that picture of the cornerstone. You remember that picture in, in, you know, in the Gospels and, and, and this idea of the cornerstone giving shape to the whole house. And then we learn that Jesus is the cornerstone. And the builders go and they just, they, they rummage through the earth and they, they spend as much money, if not more, finding the cornerstone, as much money as they spend on the entire house. And you're brought into this incredible picture of a house being well built on a cornerstone. If the cornerstone is kind of a square block, the whole house. If, if, the, if the cornerstone is like a rectangle, so goes the house. And that's why they had to find the right cornerstone so the house would be built well. And then we learn it is Jesus. And so you've got this incredible imagery, and I want to bring you a little further into this imagery, where we're then told he's the builder of all things, and how he sets things up really, really well. He's building in your life and my life. I wanted to bring up this, this quote, if I can find it here. I can't find it, so it doesn't matter. didn't appear on my phone. Man, it was so good. It's like one of my best. Do you know what? I just found it. You know, it's kind of weird to be looking through your phone in the middle of church. Everyone's waiting. He's the, builder of, he's the builder of all things. The Bible teaches all things were made by him and through him and for him. So consider the bigness of God before and, and the divinity of Christ before we go to his humanity. Consider how he made all things with his Father. Through him and by him and for him. We're often more accustomed to defending this, but just think about it, because he's the apostle and the builder. Think about it this way. If you moved where he placed the moon, just a little while, just a little bit further away or nearer, the tide would be so enormous that continents would be submerged in water. He made things really, really well. I was on my, on my paddle boat this morning. I couldn't, I couldn't have done that if the, the moon wasn't in the right place. It affects the tides. The crust of the earth, maybe like you're a camper, you know, kind of earthy, whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about from London. But if the crust of the earth had been only 10 feet thicker, there'd be no oxygen. And without it, all animal life would die. I mean, he made stuff well. He made it really well. If the oceans had only been a few feet deeper, 
carbon dioxide and oxygen would have been absorbed and no vegetable life would exist whatsoever. There'd be no, we wouldn't be breathing in here. He does things really, really well. Okay, a little bit more because I'm, I'm a nerd for this stuff. The earth's weight has, I'm having fun. The earth's weight has been estimated at six sextillion tons. That's a six with 21 zeros. Right? It's a lot. That's heavy, but it's perfectly balanced. It turns on its axis and it rotates daily at a rate of more than a thousand miles per hour. 25,000 miles each day adds up to nine million miles a year. And you consider the tremendous weight of that held in place by unseen bands of gravity. And you remember what Job says in Job 26 7 when he says, I added the, you know, <laughs> he poised the earth on nothingness. Job looked at that. He considered the greatness of God and the earth revolving on its, on its own orbit around the sun, making this elliptical circuit of about 600 million miles each year it means we're traveling through space 19 million miles per second or about 68,000 miles per hour. And you and I struggle to pray for a small little request from the builder who knows how to handle things. I mean, he can move mountains really quite easily. Consider Jesus. Job goes on, chapter 37, consider the marvelous works of God. And the illustration goes on, but that for another time. And so here's the thing, as we, as we look at high priest, we can we can know about the, the greatness of God and His divinity. And, and as Christians, we're probably more accustomed def to defending the divinity of Jesus, the godness of Jesus, fully God, all God, not missing any God. He is God. But what we perhaps don't do as much is consider His humanity. And the way Chris has led us in Hebrews and then Dana is to consider the humanity of Jesus. Consider the man who is very, very near, the right man on our side. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is doing to a Jewish people group who are accustomed to the bigness and the greatness of God. But he, he comes along to these people that were accustomed to this phrase, great high priest or high priest, as someone in the temple that was really, really busy scurrying around, always on their feet. And they were there in the temple, always serving the needs of the people, making intercession between God and man. And the writer to the Hebrews comes along and calls Jesus, the builder of all things, our, our great apostle, compares him with Moses, and then near, zeroes in and says, actually, he is our high priest. And for the first time in all of history, the New Testament church, the people of God, have this view of God's Son as the one serving us, and it's revolutionary. The one that's always busy, concerned about us and God, and it's a bit of a, and you spoke, if kind of, you put that kind of Jewish and Hebraic kind of framework in place, you feel some of the, some of the shock. How is God's Son the one serving me? How is God's son the one running around in the temple 
Because they would never sit down. The needs of the people were continuous. The intercessions, the sacrifices, like tending to every single detail, every single exhausting detail. What's happening here? And this is what's going on. And this is, this is actually the best, best piece here. Imagine the conversation the father would have had with the son to set this up. Jesus, priest, serving his people. So let's walk into this. I'm going to kind of make it up a little bit, but if the father and the son were having a conversation, taken from the Bible, so we're safe before we get anyone worried. They would probably be saying something like this, the father speaking to the son, you'll have to go, and if you go, you'll be the sacrifice. And then in my theoretical conversation here, this, the son may have turned back to the father and said, Dad, Abba, I will sacrifice my life for them. And you have this Lamb of God picture. But the conversation wouldn't have just stopped there, it would have gone on to things like kingly uh, ministry. And perhaps the father would have turned to the son and said, here's the thing, son, your work is going to have to be so complete, you're going to have to destroy every single one of the enemies of our people. And the son may have turned back to the father and said, father, I will do it. As long as it takes, I will destroy the enemies of my people until the very last one is gone, until death itself, death, hell, and the grave is done. And they would have had this conversation. And then maybe they would have talked about Jesus is shepherding. And, and maybe the father would have son to, said to the son, and said, you'll become their shepherd and you'll lead them. And the son would have said, yes, okay. But then there would have been this part of the conversation. I get this from the Bible because the son may have looked back to the father and he may have said, thing is, father, I might be their sacrifice and I'll kind of understand that maybe with their head, I hope with their heart. And father, I'm going to be their king, and I'll set up my, my kingdom, and, and, and I'll bring them into my kingdom. But Father God, here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of concerned for the people because I'm worried that they'll be frail and that they'll be weak, and there'll be times when they'll be so worried and so concerned. It's like they'll need somebody literally praying for them all the time, night and day. And then the Father gives a knowing look to the Son, nodding. That's my guy. You'll pray for them as their high priest forever and ever and ever. And the son looks back and as they consider that in my theoretical conversation says, I like it. I like it because they'll need me moment by moment. They'll need me like every thought, every worry, every anxiety, every concern. I'll need to be with them. And the father's looking at the son saying, let's do it. You'll become their high priest. And of course, my conversation is kind of theoretical, but it's made up on the basis of this Old Testament picture. And so you get the son who becomes your high priest, and something marvelous happens. Because in the temple, the, the, the priests had to scurry around, and they were always on their feet, and they never sat down. But something's about to happen. And for that, I'm going to take you to Psalm 24. That's Matthew 7. Picture of my wife right here. Psalm 24, because when these New Testament epistles were written, and they were meditating, as you and I are, on the humanity of Jesus as He becomes our high priest, they looked back at this beautiful ascension psalm. And so I just want to do this for the last few minutes that we have together. 
Because this is, this is the biggie, and this is what the writer of the Hebrews gets really amped up about. So in this scene, we're going to look at his, his humanity a little bit more closely. Jesus, your sacrifice, your shepherd king, but here your high priest. And then the psalmist starts off with these amazing verses, like, who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And it gets to these verses here where your mums and dads in the faith in the church through generations and generations looked back at this and they meditated on this and it drew them so close to God, your high priest. And they read these verses here. In verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates. And there's this scene where somebody is saying, open the gate of heaven. And it's kind of quirky, it's kind of strange, because the person crying out is a man at the gate of heaven. And I just need to take you to the gate for a minute, and I need to take you to that scene so you can see what happened to the man, the God-man, your priest, on that day. He dies upon the tree, and we've been preaching through that, and we read that. And the Father puts all of your sin upon His own lovely Son, and His face cannot even look, cannot behold iniquity and sin. And the Father looks away. He once looked upon His lovely Son with perfect, pure, holy righteousness. Now He looks away because He who knew no sin became sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. So now God looks at you with Jesus' righteousness, perfect beauty, and He dies and it's lonely, and it's hard, and his, some of his final words are like, oh God, why did you forsake me? I mean, the shock and the horror. And Jesus dies, and he's buried, and on the third day, he rises again, and 40 days later, he ascends, and this is what happens. There's a man in heaven, the first one, and the man has the audacity to go up to what we understand are gates. They've never been touched before by human hands until today, Psalm 24. And Jesus walks up to the gates, and it doesn't sound like a good English kind of permission-based culture. Sorry, do you mind? You know, if it, is it okay if I can't? He, he says, lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And for the first time in all of history, everything that's been made goes, what is this? What's happening? And one brave one, I don't know if it's brave, stupid, I'm not sure. One brave one, next verse says, who is this? And you're supposed to feel that sense of how these incredible angelic beings who are watching redemption unfold in our lives go, Who's at the door? We've never had anyone at the door. Who is this? And he responds, the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. I mean, that's, I mean, I like to strut around my house from time to time. I'm calling myself the man, and I think I'm accurate in some of it. Some of it's a little exaggerated and silly. That's fair, but I do that. But, but this is plain truth. The Lord, strong. Mighty and bad. He's like the only person that has the right to say that with such fullness. And he says, lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. 
and everything that has been made falls on its face. And these beautiful doors, I haven't seen them, I don't know what they're like, I kind of see them here, you know, so just see them with me by faith. I mean, they're nice, okay? I made a table once, I haven't made doors, but big doors open that have never been opened. And the King of glory, God, man, walks in, and he walks through the hallway of heaven. And the angels are looking. The guy that said, who is this? Maybe he retreats to the back, feels a little silly. I'm not entirely sure. But Jesus walks into, the heaven, the f- into heaven first time that heaven ever had a man walk up. Where's he going? He's going straight to his father. And he's going to go up to his father, and he's going to look at his father in the face, and he's going to say to his father, it is finished. And the father's going to look back at the son, and he's going to say, it's finished indeed. And without asking for permission, but with boldness, he's going to sit down at the right hand of his father in heaven. The priest didn't do that in the temple, but the, the priest did it on this day in history because the work's now finished. He's with you forever, your great high priest. And he sits down next to his father in heaven there. And, and I mean, what else is happening? How many weeks do we have to describe it? All of heaven goes nuts. It's incredible. And for the first time, they witness upon, I mean, Solomon, this beautiful throne, Solomon's throne would have looked like paper mache, but worse. And Jesus sits down on that throne in splendor and glory, just black wavy locks down on his shoulders like this, and just incredible magnanimity around him. In his earthly ministry, nothing about him to be desired, and nothing seemly or nothing very handsome about him whatsoever, just a normal dude. And on the tree, not even resembling the features of a human being, having been lacerated and his flesh pulled off of his body, but then ascended, walking through the corridors of heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father in beauty and splendor, And do you know what he started to do? My man, yeah, glad you asked. Thanks for answering also. He began what the the church through the ages is called the session. Sounds pretty rad and modern too, but he began to pray for you. He began to intercede for you. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling you today. In the temple... Priest scurrying around, never sits down. Jesus, sitting down like the boldest human being in all of history. And when he asks his father, Father God, she needs help today. The father says, you got it, son. When the son says he needs a job, the father says, we'll take care of that today. When the son says, now he's got a job, I don't know if he's going to make it in the job, he's not doing a great job, the father says, it's okay, we got his back as well, you know, whatever the need. And from that moment, Jesus intercedes and will proceed to do so forever. The son of God stepped down, went to the cross, stepped down out of beauty and majesty for you and for me out of just endless, incredible riches and honor and glory and just pleasant beauty to be born of a virgin out of wedlock in a manger 
swing a hammer with his dad for year after year after year, have three years of ministry, raise up 12 crazy ragtag disciples, send them out to keep multiplying the church, that's how it works. And then when he could have gone home and said, I'll take a break now, he didn't. And he, he is your high priest, the mediator between man and God forever and ever and ever and ever. Lord, he won't, he won't lose you. He doesn't lose his kids. He will never miss a thing in your life. He can't miss it. It's not who he is. He'll never get impatient over you. He's never impatient. Love is patient. He's love. He'll never be surprised by your wrongdoing or your sin. He's already considered every vile act, every evil deed, and everything you said wrong when it was placed on him on Calvary. He'll never be surprised. You'll fall on your face, and he'll know it, and he'll be there. And you'll get up, and he'll pick you up, and you'll continue to walk with him. You'll scream from the depths of your being, oh God, it is too hard, I cannot go on. And he'll be the right man on your side, and he'll tell you, I already knew this time would come. I already prepared you for it, because I was walking all along the way with you. And now the day is here, I'll walk with you, we'll do this together. I already experienced this loneliness. My father turned his face away from me on the tree. I know your loneliness. I've been feeling. I know when they maligned you, when they gossiped about you. I know when you were mistreated because they tore the flesh off my back. My friends turned their face away from me. I know what you go through. I know what you experience. Father, he needs encouragement today. Father says, yes, you got it. Every time you pray the most feeble prayer, oh God, I kind of want to pray for today, you have the mediator between man and God, and he carries your prayer like incense. It leaves you looking a little bit stupid by earthly ears to the Father's ears, perfect beauty. The people of God their prayers can never be considered silly. They're robed in beauty, in righteousness, in holiness, in glory. The same affection the Father has for the Son is placed upon the children of God. He cannot help. He cannot help but long for you. He cannot help be, but be jealous for you. Scripture teaches He dances over you. Scripture teaches one look from your eyes makes his heart beat faster and faster and faster. Your great high priest. I want you to dwell on that today. I want you to think about that. You know what your work is? I'm going to finish here. Your work is to believe. You're trying too hard a lot of times because that's our default. Your work is to behold the beauty of Jesus. I'm not going to give you any other steps. I do you a disservice. I'm not going to give you five keys to nothing. I'm just going to give you what the Bible teaches.
It's the most powerful thing you could do. And if you've been busy beholding your favorite celebrities, we've all got them. If you've been busy looking at other things, longing after them, the trinkets and the shiny things of this world, they will let you down. You already know it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It's where that, that awesome hymn came from. And I'm going to sing it. All, uh, it just, uh, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Uh, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. Crown him Lord of all. Your whole job in this life is to look to Jesus. Look. Do, do it well. Do it now. Kind of delaying the next bit here. I just want to give you a moment. Just look to Jesus. It's the most life-transforming thing you could do. And my hope and my expectation is you'll go from here and every day, just a little bit more, you'll just look. Look to the Lord. My father-in-law's a cool guy and my wife's amazing. I know there'll probably be a, maybe, a small offense somewhere in the far, far future. She'll probably overlook and I'll be in awe of my Susie. But I look to Jesus and I've looked at him many, many, many times. And the goodness of God has filled my, my life. And, and I just hope to have given you a little bit of that today. Even better, you have Jesus pouring those things into your heart at this very second. Thanks for listening.